Welcome to season two, episode nineteen of Rebel Chungs. Nineteen. I know. Oh, There's I too am... many episodes. <laughs> I am Rob. I'm Nor. Sorry, I'm I made Andy. a donut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nor is back. Yay! <laughs> After several episode absence. Also, I'm Jake, but I'm not eating a donut. <laughs> unfortunately. But we have eaten those donuts, and they're bloody good. Andy, are you? No, I'm not eating no. a donut. But I have eaten you one. You said that. I all sat across the room watching it. Yeah, no, but the viewers don't. It's know. an audio medium. Listeners don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So, today we'll be doing Coco, which, as we've already established, is the 19th film in Pixar's filmography. And how funny, because we've just watched an episode of RuPaul's so Drag Race, where the person who goes home is called Coco. Spoilers, Spoiler spoilers for, for <laughs> six seasons ago of Drag Race. <laughs> and we don't know which episode it is, so she doesn't win. But anyway, yeah. I um, just realised that, yeah, Coco's just gone. <laughs> so She's rubbish, anyway. I think it, we, we shouldn't keep up the facade. Basically, we both, we all, all four of us watched this separately last night. And we did. We're coming at it now. So we'll just, basically what we'll do is we'll jump to a trailer and then I think we'll just come back and talk about it. Yeah. Okay, so let's go and watch the film. Oh yay, I am looking forward to watching this film. Yay, film! <laughs> <laughs> Once every year, our ancestors come back to our world. Please have a safe journey. To see family <laughs> and friends. But no living person has ever visited their world. As a matter of fact, yes. Okay, so we're not back on the other side of Coco, but we are back on the other side of Coco's trailer. And you are as well. <laughs> um, so this was the second time I'd seen this. What about all of you? Second time for you as well, right? Third time? Mm -hmm. Second Third time. Second time for me. And also yeah. second time for me. This is one of the more recent Pixar films, which is strange getting into recent Pixar territory. Yeah. 
I'm used to when we first started this. We were talk, we were talking about Toy Story and Bugs Life, which are films I've seen like a films you've really grown up with, yes. and yeah. Whereas now we're the ones that I, I saw it once in the cinema, and until yesterday when we opened up the Blu-ray, we hadn't actually even opened it up, had we? Yeah, <laughs> that was like the first time we'd. And you yeah, got it in August and last year. Enough for uh, yeah, I got it for my birthday last year, but we just haven't got round to watching it. And it, yeah, it's it's really, what was it? Christmas twenty seventeen. It's uh, been out like only just over yeah. a year. We yeah. saw it. We January. saw it January twenty eighteen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I think it was out in America about two months before it was out in the UK. Oh, as all Pixar films are. Um, <laughs> and then you finished some January exams, and we went and saw yeah. it as a treat. Yeah, it was like the day after my exams yeah. ended. Is this the first one that came out while you two were together? I think it was. Wasn't yeah, it? probably. Yeah, because nothing that... came out in twenty seventeen. No. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that was. Hey. Yay! Best Pixar film together. Aww. Was that our what first shit. film trip together? Uh, to no, because we'd have seen something towards the back end of 2017 I together. <laughs> but I it's a shame your first Pixar film wasn't The Good Dinosaur. I, I mean, went to see yeah. a film, with not just with the two of you, because I wasn't that much of a third wheel, but do you remember us two and a few other people? Us three, sorry, and a few other people went to see Murder on the Orient Express a few uh, months before that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was before. Uh, I remember that. That was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that the one where we... There were basically... We managed to work out what had happened afterwards. Is that we we walked in about fifteen minutes after the showing had started, yeah. but usually about ten minutes before you'd expect the film to start. Yeah, it was like already the first a minute time in. I'd ever missed the start of a film. Yeah, and we think we managed to kind of work out afterwards that it was because what's his face was in all the trailers for. Um, oh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, and they edited his role out and stuff, and then they couldn't show the trailers trailers or something, and then they just showed the film instead. Oh, how interesting! After the adverts, but. Because he had to reshoot it all. I forget the name of the film, but yeah. well, luckily Kevin Spacey wasn't in Coco, so they didn't have to do that. <laughs> he was in A Bug's Life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. 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 He played Hopper. Yeah. He's Hopper. Yeah. We talked about it in that episode. It was oh, yeah, a long time ago yeah. now, though. And you know, he's in Baby Driver, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, doesn't make him bad films or anything. Anyway, I think we're on a tangent already. <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> it's to make up for the short intro. Yeah. So, initial impressions of cocoa. Is it as sweet as a hot cup of cocoa? <laughs> or is it as bitter as 90% dark cocoa? Jake, <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say straight off the bat, I really enjoyed it. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, enjoyed it more the second time round, to be honest. Gets better every time you watch it, for me. Really? But yeah, third time I've seen it. That was the best. I I really enjoyed it, to be fair, but I probably didn't enjoy it as much as the first time I saw it. Mm. Mainly because I think most of this, the awesomeness of this film, or the best bit of this film, is like how emotional the ending is. And it basically, the first time I watched it, it left me in tears, like streaming. But the second time around, I knew it was all coming, and I knew it was going to happen. So I was sort of prepared for it, and it still got me a little bit, but it wasn't quite as impactful as it was the first time yeah. around. Yeah, I mean, I got, I got, I did actually get weepy again this time around, but. Yeah, I think the first time I was surprised by how good it was and sort of like... Especially coming out, this is after the one after The Good Dinosaur, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, after Finding Dory, yeah. Finding Dory, yeah. Oh, well, and Finding so, Dory is like... I mean, spoilers if you've not watched episode 18. Um, like, Finding Dory is good, but it's not amazing. Yeah. And The Good Dinosaur is pretty naff. So, mm. um, at this I'm, point, I'm you saw with, yeah. we'd already started to lose a little bit of faith in Pixar and their ability to make great films. So then I went in with Coco... Um, knowing a little bit better than Promise, but thinking, oh, maybe it's just going to be a bit of a gimmicky Pixar film. And it turned out to be, like, shockingly really good. Which... And I also, I also, like, really didn't know where the plot was going. And I remembered more of it this time of, like, how things worked mm. out. But I remember last time I had no idea where the plot was going. And 
the fact that the title of the film Coco was not the name of the kid threw me right at the start. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what, it's about his grandma who's barely in the film? And then the way it all comes together at the end was so unexpected and yeah. it really, really got me. And it, obviously because it was expected this time, it didn't hit me as hard. But it's got that kind of Toy Story 3 effect where for some reason every time I watch it, it makes me well up. <laughs> and I don't know why. This makes me well up more than Toy Story 3 does. Yeah, I was saying that to Rob's Yeah, this is the most I've ever... Like, Nothing first and second well time. More than this, Toy Story 3. <laughs> this is the most I've ever cried at a film. Twice now. Well, it's somehow any man- film? Any film. When? It somehow manages. I mean, I was very, very conscious last night when I was watching it that towards the end... I wasn't just crying, like, I could feel... Like, every now and again when you well up at a film, you can feel it building in your eyes, and you kind of choke a little bit, and you kind of go, no, not worth it, just not worth it to cry, it's really not, just calm down. And you feel it build up in your eyes a little bit, and you maybe have to dab your eyes slightly, but, like, I just gave up. I could feel my tears hitting my T-shirt. This is is one of the ones for me where it's like, I can feel them in my eyes. Toy Story 3 is one of those ones where it's like, they're dripping off my chin. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they were dripping off my chin last night. Um, yeah, it's it's. This is one of those films where I don't want to like skip straight to the ending, but just to skip straight to the ending for a second. Uh, like, it you think it's done making you cry, but then it and does then something else. Yeah. And it just keeps going, even like right to the very end of the film, where the title character whose name I forget, even though I Miguel. Miguel, yeah, of course. Well, the title like, character would be Coco. He's playing his guitar <laughs> at the end, and all the ghosts in the family are dancing, and you've already cried loads. You don't think you can cry anymore? It's <laughs> yeah. like, oh my god, no! I'm so happy. I'm crying. It's so confusing. It has, it has a lot of endings, isn't it? But it's, yeah. it's like I, I find it like Lord of the Rings, where people complain Lord of the Rings has too many endings. But if all of the endings are really good. Does it matter? Like if they if they no, like, exactly. they're all nice and they hit you hard. I and if the endings nice weren't there, then people would nitpick and say, "Why didn't they do this? Yeah, Why didn't they exactly, put this yeah. in?" And yeah, no, precisely. Um, so usual custom. Nor favorite character. Well, I've got to say Miguel, don't I? <laughs> well, you don't have to, but you know, very. Um, no, ha- actually, ha- actually, actually, Hector. Oh, oh damn! Sorry. Because, <laughs> <laughs> ah. well, he was great. And he's like one of those like sleazy, weird kind of characters at the start, and then like he develops, and then you find out he's Miguel's dad, and it's just like gra- not not dad, great great granddad. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, great great granddad. Yeah, and it was all just oh, he was so sweet, even though he was like trying to be all like hard shelled and like kind of grumpy all the time, um, but he always cared, and it was really he was just really sweet. I like how complex he is as well. That like he's yeah. not just. He, he he appears to be just the comic relief at first, and like yeah, the, like the kind of a funny homeless. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah exactly. Up, he appears to be Carlo, like the, um, the I don't know <laughs> yeah. what else to compare it to, in in, uh, in Pixar, but just like the sidekick, basically. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, like Olaf or like um, Doug the dog or something. He just seems to fill that kind of role. But then it turns out he's got this whole story that's like he's got his own thing going on that you think is completely separate to Miguel, but is actually obviously tied in Very which good. is nice yeah. but I always like it when the secondary role is actually genuinely they've got their own thing going on and there's a whole story to dig in there as well and it makes it a very rich and it's that switch story. from like what seems to be a comedy relief character into like one of the main characters of the film it's really organic like you can see it happening on screen I think yeah gets, I think the main point where it sort of switches is where he's um, where he gets a guitar from the old skeleton man that I can't remember his name is who fades away while yeah. he sings him a song um, and at that point, you're like, oh, this guy's actually a really big part of the plot, and, it's, and he starts to turn into more of a guy. And you can, 
you can watch that development happen, and it's really nice to see that happen. I, I noticed, yeah, very much on that point, there was not really one moment of, like, the reveal of it's all connected. It's very gradually yeah. let out, and it lets you work it out before piece, it, before you get it there. together. That's, yeah. yeah, that would be my one criticism of the film. I don't general. think it's a criticism, it's I like, like that. No, I think it works, yeah. I, like, plot-wise, in terms of what happens in this film, I saw everything coming a mile off the first time I saw it. Like, as soon as I saw Hector... And I noticed that him and Miguel had the same colour hair. I was like, I bet he turns out he's actually the. Well, I mean, I didn't. I, yeah, I, I did not. I didn't. So that's a conversation. The first time, the first time I didn't connect the dots. But even like the second time when I when the dots were all basically connected for me by my previous viewing, I was still very much deeply affected by it. And then you yeah. you learn first off that the way they deliver it to you, you learn first off that um, Coco is um, his daughter. Mm-hmm. And then you learn that. Um, no, no, before that, you learn that he is Ernesto's songwriting partner. So yeah, you know yeah, he's yeah. got Sorry, a family. Just in terms of the Rivera yeah. family. Um, and then they work out that they're family members about 30 seconds later. Mm-hmm. And then there's the little connection where you realise that he was married to Imelda. And when she turns up and she's like, in trouble again, are we, Hector? And he goes, <laughs> you. <laughs> you look nice. And then you realise that he plays a part in that family, and then they go back to Miguel goes back to the real world, and obviously the picture's gone, and you have to play the song, and Coco starts singing it, and Coco suddenly comes to life, and she's kept the picture all along, and everything. The way everything's kind of gradually stitched together at that point, and then the year later when Coco is dead, and you're like, oh my god, she's dead, and then. She comes back as a skeleton ghost. And she's like, oh my god, yeah, that was always going to happen. I was, wasn't I, wasn't it? I was really surprised yeah. because all the way through it's like, Coco is at the end of her life, but it's like, she gets that happy ending that she remembers. And I was so surprised no, that they actually fired that bullet of, <laughs> no, she did die. But it's they can like, do oh. that because the whole premise of the film is. No, no one actually dies. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. Um, like well, if she dies, she's not really dead. What is interesting is, um, um, I, I've always wondered how they try that. What's his face? Hector ends up being alive with Coco at the end of the film. Yet Coco, who is the only person that remembers him in the living world, has now died, so he should but disappear, presumably. No, 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 but now no, his picture's up, from the offender. His picture's up, so everybody remembers him. And Miguel, rem- has and Miguel him. remembers Miguel him, remembers yeah. Him. Yeah, but Miguel's only met him in the afterlife, and we know based on the other guy that thinks It's to do with the picture, though. It's the offender. His photo is up. Yeah, but you, I thought you need to be able to actually remember them. Well, no, because no, no one remembers Imelda, either. Right? Yeah, she's long dead as well. She's been yeah. dead for ages. Yeah. You don't have to it's, remember. It's you don't have to have met them. You have to. It's like say like a, it's like a famous person. Like all, all the people who remembered um, Ernesto had never actually met him. So how did this work before this technology of photographs? Well, yeah. well that's a good question. I, 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 I did often find myself thinking about. You know, maybe it's hundreds of thousands of years of humans that existed before um, photographs. photographs. Although maybe they would be remembered in their own ways, like with cave drawings and songs and things like that. Maybe, but I also wonder: does this happen outside of Day of the Dead? Like, does this happen in other countries? Like, does this happen to everyone in the whole world? Like, is there a is there an Ellie skeleton looking down on Carl oh, just God. to break people's hearts there? Well, I think that's part of it, really, because Thanks obviously... I mean, I don't want to get too deep in this early on, but like, we have a very strange relationship culturally with death, and I feel like, especially in the West, and especially in like the English 
speaking west whereas like in mexico maybe this day of the dead festival it's like it's it's like a, a celebration of you know we tend to get quite uncomfortable speaking about people who are dead you know we can't say we can't say what they really were and you know don't speak ill of the dead and we have the funeral and then we have the after party but then everybody just kind of gets on and oh, mm. relative recently died best not mention that and whereas i think you know pixar have maybe used this because the day of the dead at least recognizes that yeah people die but it doesn't mean that there's any kind of loss of connection or anything like that you know they live on through the stories we tell and the, the photos that we've taken and the cave drawings that we did <laughs> and you know, and i think that they've used that because it's basically the best cultural celebration to use for that and it means that yeah maybe because every other culture is a bit uncomfortable about death maybe we just we don't get the, the privilege of being able to bring them back albeit temporarily maybe. because we're the only people who don't you know maybe their skeleton ghosts are around at funerals and then as soon as the funeral's over and everybody goes back to their normal lives because we don't really other than like anniversaries of their deaths and stuff where you have a little moment to yourself and you kind of go oh yeah that person died a year ago today you mostly do we mostly just kind of get on you know days happen without you thinking about them and uh, you know maybe that's it maybe because mexicans and i don't know whether other um latin countries do this too but maybe because they make a point of recognizing the dead that maybe they're the people who get to have the gift of their relative spirits kind of come back I do, I do think i do think it's but, a very very positive message and i completely agree with it if i had if i if i had kids and like if they had like a grandparent who had died or something, I would sit down and watch this film with them because I think it's a really good yeah. exploration of how you should react to death and how you should feel. Well, not should feel about it, but what what a helpful way to think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this a is a good kind of scary way. It's, it's almost like a sort of helpful training video of how to deal with death. And I think that's there. a wonderful yeah. thing. I think that's lovely. Yeah, it's good. Good grief counselling. Yeah, so was up yeah. as well. Good grief but... counselling. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, favourite characters. Yeah, we've got through one favourite character so far. Well, I feel like, to be honest, Hector's, like, the winner, if you know what I mean. I think he's, like, the real MVP. Yeah, I mean, I'm, str- I'm struggling really honest with it. I mean, I loved Miguel because I thought he's a really, really sweet kid. I, I just love, like, all, all the motivates him is his love of music, and he's uncomplicated apart from that. He just really wants to play music, which I relate to. He's just a lovely, lovely kid. And... I like that he's kind of worldly wise as well. Like he mm. he has his opinions and he stands for them. He's not just like he doesn't just do what the adults say. I think he was a nice character. Not uh, certainly not the star of the show. Hector is the star of the show, but Miguel is a nice character. Um, I'd like to put forward uh, Dante actually. Oh, I love Dante. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not often a huge fan of characters that are purely there just to kind of occasionally turn up and make people laugh, but mm. he. He serves a massive purpose, I think, because not only is he proof that animals in this universe, anyway, animals have a link between our universe and the universe of the beyond or whatever, the land of the dead, for example. But, you know, he gets his moment where he um, gets to turn into, uh, uh, what are they called? The spirit, spirit animals? Spirit guides. Yeah, yeah. And he's, bailed, he's still basically just the same but with wings and <laughs> don't work a glittery well. light show. And yeah, wings that don't work very well. I, mean, the, the I, whole... I thought he was funny. He There's only, the only other character in other films that I, like they say, I can think of where that kind of side character really works for me is uh, Hey Hey in Moana, mm. where every second they're on screen, you're like, what's he going to do next? <laughs> what's he going to do next? And 
usually I get a bit tired of those kind of characters. Like I don't, I'm not really to compare him, but like I feel like um, Jar Jar is used in a similar way in Phantom Menace, where it's like, oh, what's he gonna do next? Oh, mm. what's he gonna knock over this time? And I get a bit tired of that, but I, I, I bought into Dante. Loads. I, I thought the spirit guide part of things. That's kind of one of the only part of the films that parts of the film that didn't really work for me, just because that's the kind of most abstract unrelatable part of the story and I thought it was just a bit kind of odd because everything else is kind of like you know the way Pixar has this skill that everything seems applicable everything seems like the analogs everything's and, relatable yeah. and uh, yeah it has those has those analogs Spirit Guides I thought was a bit more out there and abstract so it didn't work for me as well as everything else but yeah and uh, the Spirit Guides represent a slightly wider problem that this film has to me as well anyway because this film makes a point of making you think that characters are certain things when they're not we've already discussed how that works with Hector but in terms of is it Imelda or Imelda yeah. Imelda at the very start you think she's a villain and Pixar wants you to think that she's going to be the villain for the film because she won't give the blessing to her mm-hmm. thingy and they make that very clear that that's what you think by making her spirit guide this like biggest most intimidating <laughs> sort of weird bird creature like a bird, wild animal bird kind yeah, of thing, it's, yeah it's really strange and then it flies down and it hit, hits the ground and the world shakes and everyone's like oh my god and you think Wow, Pixar's really clearly, like, so strongly trying to signal to me that Imelda is some sort of intimidating character in this film. That she obviously isn't, because the signpost in it's so hard that they're obviously doing something else. Yeah, I think quite a lot of this film depends on how far you're willing to let them distract you and lead you away from what's actually going on. Like, I feel like there are so, like you say, they signpost it and they lead you away so convincingly like they, they really try to lead you in one direction like right at the very you know beginning, it's going to come it, back they, they make it quite clear that um, I can't remember the main villain guy's name now the Ernesto Ernesto you're bad with the names <laughs> I am terrible with the names of this film um, they, they, make, like, they make it so obvious that he's going to be the father figure of the film or the great grandfather that, that you, you just think to yourself well, that can't possibly be the case because we've found it out at the very beginning of the film yeah. I think when you know that twists like that are coming though it all depends on I mean, to be honest, even the second time when I knew that all of these twists were coming and the characters weren't as they seemed and whatnot, even though I knew all of that, I think if you're going to have twists and turns like this in a film, it's about how the twists land, and then once they've landed, how you feel emotionally about them, and i got to say, I think I've bought into basically all of it. Like, I, 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 even though I'm, you know, even though the signposting, especially a second time round, on a second viewing, you can really see them, like you say, trying to really make the effort to kind of lead you in one particular direction about a certain character just so they can whip it back around on you in 20, 30 minutes' time. Even though I can see all of that and you can kind of see the seams of the storytelling, I think they get away with it because when everything's come back around again, the emotional stakes and the emotional impact is so heavy and so effective and done so well that you're kind of willing to let them lead you away because you know that when when it whips back around and you find out that, oh, it turns out that Imelda was very nice and she was a singer and, you know, this, that and whatever. And they were actually a very, very musical family. And you know, they, they work... I mean, I think a lot of it is to do with the uh, first half an hour, which we'll get in touch with in a minute. But I think they develop the family tree and the family history and they make it so deep so early on so quickly about very specific things that 
it feels as if you know a very intense and personal part of their family history. So even though you know that not everything is as it seems, I think that it all ties together so well, so emotionally, that you're willing to let them take you away because you know that when it comes back around, they're, they're going to deliver, essentially. They're, they're, they're yeah. going to deliver something big, and the last 15 minutes of Coco are too much. Like, just just too much. Like, they really, really are. But we're kind of I definitely see where you're coming from, though, Jake. Definitely. We are kind of running low, I think, on star characters, but do you have anyone else you want to put forward? I really like Amelda as a character. I think she's really interested. I mean, I've just said, like, she she is one of the problems in the film in that they quite clearly signpost her to be one way and it turns out she's completely another. But um, just touching on what Rob said about um, how deeply we get to know the family of these characters, because this film is supposed to, is mainly about how important family is mm-hmm. and, and whether your family's dead and you just remember it them or whether they're the people that are with you at the moment um, and you hear her throughout the film you learn a lot about um, Imelda's backstory and she starts off as a character that seems really cold hating music for I mean first of all I mean how are you supposed to like a character that hates music it's just it's, it's not, I'm not I don't think anyone is capable of understanding how someone can just dislike music in such a way so then you end up quite intrigued as to why she's like that and then you learn more about her and she becomes a very interesting character for the film so I would put her forward as one of the standard characters in this film that's fair enough I mean I, I found her probably my least favourite character but not because she was poorly written or anything but, but because she was just such an obstacle and it infuriated me at first because I, I just was thinking I, I think I said this to you while we were watching it that like how far would she have let that go when she refuses to give her blessing like say if it was like the last seconds and the sun was coming up would she then have conceded and let him play music like is she prepared to let him die over it like how I, I, want, I really do wonder how far would she have let that go before she came well yeah but you've got to remember that all those characters are dead so to them death is not that big of a deal because yeah. he'd just be living in the land I get that but say, I, I, I think the question stands if the sun was coming up and he's still saying no no I want to play music what would she have done I felt like she hadn't thought that through that he's only there for one night they don't really have the time to talk about this I think she this. would have relented I think so. Because she relents anyway. I, so yeah. and I feel like she would have done. Yeah, but she reala- she she doesn't relent so much as she comes to accept uh, Miguel for who he is, and so. And that's only because she patches things up with Hector as well. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it's and that's the more important yeah. thing in her story, really. This is like this film is very much a character, um, a character's journey home sort of story, isn't it? Where he finds himself along the way and he discovers things about himself, and other characters discover things about themselves on the way as well. And I, I do see your point with Melda in that she's very much an obstacle because they make her the thing that he has to overcome multiple times, and she's there to stop him along the way. Um, so in that way, she is a relatively formulaic part of the film in how she's constructed as a character. But I just find it quite interesting because I like the whole backstory. Oh yeah, no, and how I don't it weaves know. how it weaves into all the other characters because we always talk so much in Pixar about how a good film is um, always about the relationship between each character. And in terms of relationships between characters, this is probably one of the more complex ones. This is why I was going to put forward as my um, favorite character is actually a group of people. I would just put forward the entire Rivera family. I think it's so well connected and so well plotted and so deep. And so, to the point where dead relatives who died years ago have personality traits and quirks that have been passed down through the generations. Mm. Like, you notice that um, the grandmother of the family, I forget her name, but Coco's daughter, 
she uses a shoe as a weapon. Because when she beats up that mariachi guy who uh, Miguel's shining his shoes, mm. she beats him with a shoe. And then as soon as you go into the land of the dead, Imelda is using a shoe <laughs> as a weapon and <laughs> threatening people with it. And that is how you deepen a family well, tree. Because the whole family is based on being a shoe shop or a shoe shop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's, like, it's the fact that they use the same thing to antagonise people. And it means that in some way or another, something's been passed down. And that's how I imagine she's living on as well. Even if they didn't have a photo, the fact that her weapon of choice is a heeled shoe. It means yeah. that whenever that kind of technique gets used um, by the grandmother of the, of the living family, um, it means that somebody would remember. And that's, I think that's how you deepen a family tree. And like, there's always been music running through it, even though they've always kind of denied it. And even just visual things, like they have this very, I mean, it's not like a hierarchy, but when, on the um, Ofreda, where they have the, the kind of shrine to the rest of the family, it's done in like a pyramid formation. So you can see whose kid had which kid, had which yeah. kid, had which kid. And obviously, because it's animation, they could make, you know, if, if this was live action, it'd be a bit harder, but because they all look very similar, you know, they all have very similar genetic makeup, mm. even within the animated universe. Um, and they all have this kind of. Even just shots of them all working away with the shoes and, like, oh, um, oh, we've, we've decided, like, when, I mean, I know that it's not what we want, but when um, Miguel's dad uh, comes in and kind of crowns him with the apron to work in the shoe shop and it's mm -hmm. like something's been passed down a generation here even if Miguel doesn't want it and what's really been passed down generations is musical talent and again it's about this kid kind of discovering himself because when he is at the beginning of the film he thinks that he's alone in his family like in music and being talented he's never quite you know he has this gift but he's never quite understood where it comes from and I imagine it's you know I it's because it's a particular talent, it's you know it's maybe a little bit different for him. But imagine if you were from a long line of very very healthy people, and all of a sudden in like your mid teens you get cancer, and it's like there's no family history that suggests it or anything like that. And you must feel so. I mean, obviously scared because you have cancer, but like you know, second of all, it's just there's no actual. You know, if, if, if well, I guess my mum had cancer, so that kind of makes sense. Whereas, you know, so you feel quite alone. Yeah, you would feel very alone and isolated, and I feel like you know that's what makes Miguel's connection with um, Dela Cruz so. Except instead of cancer, Miguel has mad skills with the guitar. Exactly, mad skills <laughs> with the guitar. So it's not the best comparison, but he fe he must feel alone and isolated within his own family, which is so tight knit and so um, they, they they all follow each other's rules and the rules are established years ago we make shoes and that's all we do you know it's not a lot but it's our life that's our lot in life that yeah. bug's life thing and to feel like an outlayer and an outcast in your own family and I think that's why his connection with Dela Cruz becomes so deep because when you're missing a kind of explanation for who you are even I mean to be honest he didn't even know that um, Esteban Dela Cruz was his father well he didn't even think he was his father for the first 15 minutes of the film because he only finds out by accident when he knocks the picture over but even before that, he sees him as something of a role model that he's never had in his own family. And it just means that, again, even though the film makes it kind of clear and obvious that um, Dela Cruz is eventually going to turn out to be the villain who you didn't think was a villain, the emotional stakes behind it and the weight behind it for Miguel as a person and as a character, it must be horrid to kind of not just... He's not just an idol. He's something more to Miguel. He's like a father figure... 
or at least someone who is willing to understand him and appreciate him and and it means that when we do find out this twist yeah in the moment you kind of go yeah I kind of saw that coming Miguel hasn't seen it coming though and Miguel's so innocent and believable that you, your heart aches for him instead of feeling yeah, the twist well, while you're on this note I can't turn that much of a blind eye to it mainly because like I think most of the film is really well written and really imaginatively written and as I say I really like that I didn't know where it was going for most of it with Ernesto de la Cruz though He's quite obviously. A villain, he's isn't he's he? Charles Mons. Sorry, from Ernesto, up. not Esteban. He, he's Charles Mons from Up. <laughs> yeah. There is no difference. It's the same character. Yeah. It's the same plot. I think he's, he's the role yeah. model from childhood who turns out to be the villain behind everything, and that propels the plot of the film. And then he gets his comeuppance from, at the end from the real heroes. I think the dynamic there is, is no difference. slightly I found different. It, I found it disappointing just in that we really have seen that exact plot before. I think the dynamic is different in that regard, though, because. What who Carl really misses is is Ellie, and even though uh, Charles Muntz was like a hero to him, it wasn't the he wasn't the person who made him feel like he belonged. That was always Ellie. But it was the me. missing piece in their lives that they never quite got to. Oh yeah, was yeah. This idea of what Charles Muntz managed to do, they wanted to do the same. And when he finds out that Charles Muntz is actually a sham, it does create this sort of identity crisis with Carl. And I feel like the same thing happens in Coco. It works very well. I just think you get a kind of sense of Pixar as a franchise when that happens, and just a slight, it's just a slight knock to it, really. But I, I don't know. I don't know. What I can def- I, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Definitely. What do you think, Jake? Because you tend to point out these kind of things as well when these happen in films where it's yeah, like, been done before. Again, it, it was less of an issue of um, it being very similar to. Um, uh, up for me and more of an issue of that while it was quite obvious he was going to be the villain all along because it, it just seems quite easily signposted to not be so I don't, I don't thought but uh, uh, again I thought the way Pixar did it anyway was still really good and it created room for doubt at least because they really do play up very very hard this idea of Ernesto de la Cruz as this really like godly kind of guy and when he's finally about to appear and you meet him it's like you really are like oh. That's why I love. He is a nice guy, and they do they do fool you slightly. Yeah. I love how he dies twice. <laughs> <laughs> he my that was so <laughs> funny right at the beginning. Just this slapstick, dark humor out of nowhere. I remember when I watched it the first time, and even last night as well. I'd forgotten exactly how he died. All I remembered, well, he doesn't really die. He just kind of gets incapacitated because once you get crushed by a bell as a skeleton, it's less about you dying and more about you being broken apart and not having the ability to reassemble yourself like so many of them seem to be mm. able to do. <laughs> but I thought his death was a little bit convenient, but then when he gets crushed by the bell, it's like, actually, you know what? It was slightly convenient the way you got rid of him, but then the way that you signed off on it and the way that you bookended his character made it worth it. Oh, I think and it's total rule of funny. I think yeah, it works. I yeah. think that's it, really. The reason I'm willing to forgive this film so much is because even though I can see everything it's doing, what it does afterwards, once it's done what it's done, how much it hits for some reason, it, it I can't really fully explain it, but once you... It's like one, when Coco dies, you know that she's going to turn up as a ghost skeleton, but then when she turns up as a ghost skeleton, you go, I didn't think it would hurt this much, <laughs> and I didn't think it would also feel this nice, and I also didn't think that... It would feel this wonderful or horrible, and I think with Ernesto 
Dela Cruz being um, kind of killed off a bit easily. They use a big animal. The big animal throws him into, you know, kicks him out of the stadium. And you're thinking, yeah, they probably could have worked a bit harder for that. But then the bell falls on him, and you're like, ah, I had completely forgotten about that. And <laughs> in the end, what you realise that they've done is that I've just said, you know, that they've bookended his character really well. And mm. so, I, I mean, I'm I'm really interested in what became of him in the land of the dead because obviously he wasn't like immediately forgotten. Like he, it would have taken some time at least. And I wonder what became of him in that world once he was exposed like is he just yeah, some guy see, who lives on his own like you an see in the um, living world at the very end they've got the big forget yeah. you sign but that's, that's, I mean if you're so you remembering someone in a bad way you still remember you still him. remember them so he wouldn't have just disappeared immediately but maybe, maybe he'd live in like those bits that Hector and all of his friends lived in but like on his own oh yeah. as an outcast yeah well that reminded me of like a kind of um, like a bayou thing like yeah, mm. that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, like this kind mean, of outcast yeah. music land. Yeah. <laughs> um, talking about the um, first act of the film, I think that if when Miguel nicks that guitar out of well, above uh, the grave, I feel like if he just goes out onto the plaza and plays the guitar and everybody is happy and sings along with his family forgiven because of how talented he is, I feel like you could wrap up that first act as its own short film. Because it all the first act is so well developed and wrapped up so nicely. I mean, yeah, okay, it goes into the uh, Pixar and the Infamous first act's goodness. Yeah, <laughs> this I want to say this might be the strongest, in my opinion, anyway. This might be the strongest first act in a Pixar film that I've seen. You think? Oh, oh, stronger than like? Oh, yeah, no, up is the. Oh, Wally. But the first half. Oh, an yeah, hour I forget that Wally. The first yeah. half an hour of Up, I think, is. Like yeah, no, possibly I'm, the best of any film. I'm yeah, not. I, agree. I I think that Up is amazing, and I think that Wally's perfect as well. But this, I don't know. I feel like I've really bought into this first sort of twenty minutes from the moment where, right up until the moment where the person walks through him and you realise that something's happened here. Like up until that little moment, I feel like. There is something about it. I think it's how deep and how well written, and how kind of nuanced and detailed the family history is, and who the family members are, and the fact that Miguel is kind of like an outcast in his own family, so he's rebelling against them, and like it's a it's a story against authority, and it's you know it's also a story of should he just respect them, should he just get along, and even the kind of silly sound. Uh, slapstick side character works with Dante and yeah and you know it doesn't raise the emotional stakes in the way that Up did and it's not maybe as um, arty as Wally I mean how the first half an hour of Wally sustains itself still blows my mind but yeah yeah, I think you know Up and Wally are very 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 stiff competition but I think this might pip it by like 0.001 and Cars 2, obviously, as well. The, well, you know, the, the richness of Cars 2, which well, I, I can't remember a second Ma- Michael Caine's spy mission scenes that I feel like I'm still watching because they went on for so long. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, miss you, Cars 2. Not really. Don't miss you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, from the way that it starts and, like, the animation on the washing line, you know, with the... Um, Oh, the little the bunting with all the They were great. Oh, it looks yeah. so good, this so film. Good. It's it was, so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, so the, the, this, from, from front to back, this film manages to 
it has to rely on a lot of different textures to communicate differences between worlds, and I think it does that so, so fluidly and the whole thing without missing a beat. Felt like a travelogue, like a come to Mexico advert, because it made it look so inviting. It made yeah. it look so so colourful. So colourful, yeah. And as someone yeah. who plays guitar, it's something that it's it's so stupid and kind of petty of me to kind of pay attention to this stuff because hey, it's a film, suspend your disbelief, Rob. But you're talking about how you're going to mention about how when he plays a guitar, it's, it's exactly beautiful, right? It's absolutely beautiful to watch. It's such a shame because it might not be exactly out. right, but well, the guitar picking is very, from what I can tell, it's mostly right. It's such a shame that a trombone makes a trumpet noise really loudly as a joke. That really yeah. annoyed me as a brass player, but never mind. Yeah, the guitar but stuff I'm not is a really brass player, so I didn't yeah. realise that, but it's not necessarily that the sounds coming out of the film have to necessarily, you know, the, the wait, which is diegetic and which is non-diegetic? Again, no, diegetic is when, in the story. Yeah, when they can hear it. So the diegetic stuff that's coming out, it has to, for me, it's not about whether it has to match um, how it should sound in the real world. But when his fingers are sliding across that fretboard... I, I don't believe that a child as tiny as Miguel is capable of stretching to do those chords. But in any, in any way... Well, no, there, I mean, there is that thing, isn't there, where like, you can't play a chord on a piano unless your fingers are a certain width apart. Because well, you, yeah. you couldn't stretch an octave. But yeah, I've got tiny hands, so I struggle to play an octave on a piano. Then again, it is, it, is, it is one that he's personally made for himself, so maybe you made it to his size. Maybe you made it to but scale. Wouldn't that affect the sound? Yes. The, the yeah, it was. That's true. Length and stuff. So, but even still. Oh, throw the whole film out. Yeah. Really <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should have made this over a ukulele playing child. <laughs> 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 Haven't played the ocarina or the recorder. But no, it is beautiful the way that they, even like the finger plucking techniques that he kind of has going, and it's clearly like. He's clearly had several versions of this guitar until he's built this one because obviously you can't just go straight into that kind of finger plucking style from something you've just finished. Oh, I mean, he's immensely talented. Yeah. As well, like, <laughs> like, the, like when he, when he gets up on stage in the Land of the Dead and he just did the guitar lessons <laughs> in my school when I were his age were uh, my heart will go on. There's like a chorus of twenty kids going bling 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 bling. <laughs> Playing about twenty pop songs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he's a talented. Yeah, if you guy. want to do Wonderwall, it's Capo on the second fret or first fret. Yeah, and then you, and then away you go. <laughs> so anyway, here's Wonderwall. Um, <laughs> but then, I mean, you're saying that um, that maybe the first act of this isn't as strong as uh, Wally or even like Inside Out or or Pull Something. But what? Did like how, how did you buy into this universe? Like how did it make you buy into it? There was nothing that like didn't make me buy into it. I, I, don't get me wrong. Just because I'm saying it's not. Oh no, that's good. why I'm, I'm framing it. Saying, that I'm way. not saying yeah. it's not because I'm saying it's not as good an opening as like maybe the best openings to any film ever. Is by no means a criticism. It's still in, it's still like really really good. Um, I I don't know. I think. It's, I think what really pulled me into it is that the transition to the land of the dead works really, really well. Where this was one of those films where I went into it knowing absolutely nothing about what the film was about. So when he goes into the land of the dead, it was kind of an instant switch. Where it's like, ah, that's what this is about. Then this is the plot of the film: living kid in land of the dead. And then it made me reflect on all the stuff that had been set up, and I was like, okay, there is 
there's a room for a big plot here. So that's what really pulls me in. And I must say, the first 10, 15 minutes or so, I found it hard to get too switched into it. I thought it was a little bit kind of blah, 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 by the numbers at first. But once he goes into the land of the dead, it all pays off, and that's what makes it work for me. I think the first act works really well because it just does, again, what Pixar's really good at doing and just builds the world so well. Yeah. Of like, and the whole culture and like all the tiny details of everything that's going on there. Mm. It's just so lovely and it looks so good. And I just think it works really well in that respect. So I don't think there's necessarily anything to stand out about the first act compared to, say, um, for example, uh, the other examples of first acts I've given, like Wally, where everything's silent for the first half an hour and you've just got these characters that are, are interacting through bleeps and bloops and gestures yeah. and stuff, or Up, where you've got the um, the montage of Ellie and Carl growing up together, which makes breaks your heart at the start. Like, those two openings are really good because they both rely on um, kind of on gimmicks on like being different in well there's a talking ways. point isn't there there's, an yeah, yeah. The, there's something to hook you in and pull yeah. you in whereas this film is just naturally a very good world building first half I think that might be what makes the difference for me actually because it doesn't it's not got like a crutch to rely on in terms of yeah it's why um, fe- feature part of this first act I mean it's not I mean it's just going to be a comparison I don't do but like you know quite a lot of people's favourite Game of Thrones episodes oh, are no no no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. alright 50p in the jar um, but quite a lot of people's favourite episodes of it are b- battle episodes where they stay in one location for a very long time and there's lots of intense action and stuff like that but I've always kind of been blown away by The Winds of Winter because it doesn't have that to rely on it has to do all the usual Lots of different plots in lots of different locations, but they are all as emotionally impactful, etc., etc. So that's why it's become my favorite because it doesn't have that kind of. It's a big spectacle episode to rely on, etc. So with um, Coco, it doesn't have like Jake said, it doesn't have that crutch. It it just has to, it just has to build a world, and it just has to open a story. And yet I managed to feel as close to it as I would Wally, which survives on the silence and the kind of slightly arty nature and up which kind of relies on this short film Mm. in the first I mean it's an amazing short film but it kind of relies on that only 10 minutes that short film and there's no one highlight in the first 25 minutes of this film that you you have to kind of oh this is the moment this is the one like and it's more a very on the surface of things it's a very regular story but it manages to make me feel just as much by having less to work with in that way. Yeah, and it it worked because it gets the basics all right in this first part of the film. Like, um, it introduces you to every member of um, Miguel's family, like the grandmother, Coco, his mum and dad, and it does it so organically that you feel like you're getting to know his family already at the very start of the film without actually having that much of an interaction with any of them. Um, so it just... It's, it's got it does it it just gets everything that Pixar usually does so well and distills it really well into that first act, mm. in my opinion. I think this is all quite a good question for you, Noah, because you really, really love this one, don't you? And I'm interested in like what is it that really like makes it work for you? Like what what is it that really gets you about it? So much. Um, <laughs> first of all, it just looks amazing. It's so colourful, so just so nice to look at. Like, like at, at that point, you don't care what the story is because it's just so pretty. Um, <laughs> I would agree with that, actually, yeah. And yeah. it's probably the most emotional Pixar film for me. I don't know, I feel like I've cried at this one more than I've cried at any of the others, even even the first ten minutes of Up, which is mental. 
Um, <laughs> and would you say that's there right from the start, all the emotion and colour and stuff? I mean, you're invested in the characters right from the start. Well, I, I was, personally. Um, and then as the story progresses, you really want to know what happens, and I yeah. feel like that's not... It is the same in other Pixar's, but this is kind of... It's more in this one. And and then right up until the end, where it gets super emotional, and you're like, yeah, this is why I was invested, and like, this is why this is a great film. Um, and this is why I've watched this for an hour and a half. But, um, yeah... I, I don't know, it's just... So the fact that it sets up and pays off. So yeah. Well, yeah. It's yeah, that, it's, it's more... It's this film watching. is basically 80% set up and then 20% of, like, crushing payoff. Yeah. <laughs> where, like, up essentially is payoff in the beginning and up is dealing with the aftermath of, a, of an event that would usually end a film, if you know what I mean. Mm. And whereas this is constantly building towards something and as the film goes on, lots of little pieces get put into place and then eventually you manage to work out what the puzzle is. And then when you sit there and the puzzle is in front of you, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> and you just get like pains in your chest and it hurts. And even though it doesn't strike that chord from the very beginning, I think that I, this is less about, or rather it's Coco at the beginning. It feels as much about building a world as it does about, feeling a fa- it does it feels as much about building a world as it does building a family mm. and the family tree and the family co- connection and the family hierarchy is so crucial to how the emotional impact of the last 15 minutes works and how how far you're willing to go with it i think they, that's the work that they have to start early on and like watching it through a first time i thought it was just a fairly ordinary beginning to a pixar film but like having seen it a second time and having watched all the other Pixar films really recently, um, up to this point anyway. I mean, This I'm is so, really strong. I'm now actually with all these discussions and stuff, I am now starting to come around on something I said earlier about Imelda where I was a bit annoyed by her character because, you know, she couldn't. She was being stubborn, she could have just stopped the whole plot right at the, at the start. But now I'm realising maybe that's quite a nice way of doing it because... Rather than her being a straight up antagonist, like you, like you said, Jake, rather than her being a straight up antagonist, she like it's just a family disagreement, and it only lasts a couple of hours. And I guess it's more realistic. And so I'm starting to come to that now. If you put it all in the frame of it's just a small family story, of them learning to appreciate each other and learning to get to know each other, then it works that way because people are stubborn in families. So I'm sort of coming around on that whole side of the plot now. <laughs> I yeah. think, as well, they managed to. We're talking about how some of the twists are maybe a bit obvious, and I think the one that's really obvious um, is the one that uh, where Hector is a musician. Not necessarily that you know he's a family member of Miguel's, but more that he's a musician. Like the way they kind of go, oh, I hate musicians, I hate all the musicians, and all the musicians tease him because he apparently choked on chorizo, and <laughs> it's like, no, I've got food poisoning, and blah blah blah. And but and like you know his photo, when he first hands his photo over to Miguel, you think. That's gonna be the torn piece of paper off the photo off the Alfredo that's missing. But no, it's just a plain photo of him smiling, and it's you know got all of its borders. It's not been ripped off another photo. Mm. So you're thinking, hmm, okay, like you know you could like Jake was saying, they're leading so many breadcrumbs in one direction that they're hoping you don't see the cake crumbs in the other direction. You know they're kind of you know, <laughs> they're kind of hoping that you'll go one way so that they can whip you back around in the, in you know like I said in thirty forty minutes time. But I think. I'm 
the effort that this film puts into like family trees and things like that and the thing the effort that it puts into its world and into its animation and into its side characters and into its story and its central characters and their intentions and its clear purposes and its character arcs and things like that that when you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit you do just kind of sit there and go I'm fine because I know that uh, watching it a second time around because I know the emotional hit is coming you think that once you've been exposed to something like that, you think that the second time you possibly couldn't cry more because you know, it's like it's like watching the same joke ten times over. You don't laugh. <laughs> it's you know at the same intensity every time. You laugh really really intensely the first time, maybe a bit more intensely the second time because you kind of know it's coming and you're in on the joke. But then every time after that, it kind of decreases. And it's the same. It's why I don't really, in the grand scheme of things, give a shit about spoilers in TV shows and films because. If something's done well, it doesn't matter how many times you watch it, the emotional impact is still going to hit you. So, you know, fair enough. You know, there were people who I still watched The Red Wedding and get very sad and that, that, that kind of thing. So that side of it, I, I, I didn't think it would hit me as much, but I think even knowing that Hector was going to turn out to be Miguel's family member, when he hands in that picture, you're thinking to yourself... Surely I must have seen this. Like, the first time around, I was thinking, surely I must have worked this out earlier. Surely I must have done this. But then when they're in the cave and... Well, not the cave, you know, the sinkhole that they get put in by Ernesto. And when it turns out that um, Ernesto poisoned him with a toast. And even when he says, I I just want to see my cocoa, and it's like, oh, God, Hector, I'm so sorry. (laughs) <laughs> you were betrayed, and it's it, and it, even I no, I pointed this out to you, Noel, when we watched it. That um, there's something, even before he knows, there is something in Hector's character that indicates that he has a suspicion that he was poisoned, because there's when they go to see the guy who's in the hammock, who's fading away, and they they pour one out to each other. Hector only drinks one of the glasses. And then he turns it over and lands it and leaves it on the table. So one glass is full and one glass is empty. And so the toast is never completed because only one person takes a drink. It's like, you know, it takes two people it takes two people to lie, you know, to perform a lie. What is it? One to lie, one to listen. And this is like, takes two people to complete a toast, takes two people to tango. You know, so is it a toast? Really? And then just as they're leaving that little shack, the camera kind of leans on the glasses for a second and you're thinking... Well, yeah, the glasses do look nice, and they do look like real glasses, so well done there, Pixar, with, with your money and your and your animation and stuff. But you're thinking to yourself, surely there's a deeper reason why they sat on those glasses for, like, five seconds. And then you work out later in the film that there's the film that Ernesto had done where two characters toast each other, and it's poison, and then Hector figures it out, and you realise that way back at the beginning of the film before Hector's even fully realised this that he doesn't complete a toast but you say that like um, as if as if you hadn't already figured out that the guy poisoned him like it, that just seemed obvious to me when I, I was watching I must it, say that, that was that was like, really especially obvious especially the second time obviously yeah no, no the first time that like, was really obvious the, even the first time because you can see he, he does like a glower to the cat just before he decides yeah. to give him a toast he like turns away and does an evil scare yeah, yeah it was really goes, before you go I can't let you leave without a toast what in the film yeah, yeah. he does an the, the evil grin at the camera oh yeah I know that in the film it's just it, but that's what I mean you, you see it in the film but you, I, I didn't make the connection between Ernesto and no I mean in that actor 
It's all the same scene, isn't it? I thought it was only one flashback where you see that happen. No, no, so Rob's talking about... You the, know, the, the film that Ernesto get... is actually in, where he, he poisons oh, the I character. See. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I know he was going to poison yeah, him. Yeah, in that the was right. But that's when it hits that you're like, oh, he used real life inspiration for his film, and it wasn't food poisoning. And it, was, it wasn't the chorizo, it was, the, it was actually that he was poisoned and killed. And that meant, I, I, yeah. I, must, I must say, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know about this stuff, but I would imagine that death by choking looks very different to death by poisoning. Well, no, no, the point is he said he was food poisoned by chorizo, because that's what... Um, yeah, because they all go... I ah. told him, oh, it must have been the chorizo. Because yeah, the, the set, oh, yeah. And then he dies. Because he, so he clearly didn't choke. When he goes to the land yeah. of the dead, and one of the first questions they ask is, how did you die? He'd say, oh, well, I got food poisoned by chorizo, and most people would assume that he choked. And uh, yeah, it's like how rumours get twisted and things. Like yeah, that's true. Yeah. I would say, you know, watching it a second time through, even though the twists and turns and stuff like that, the intrigue is, like, less intriguing. You know, it's... <laughs> I expected that to dampen my kind of dampen my experiences with it, but if anything, I, I, I genuinely thought this was better the second time round, and I loved this the first time round, like because I, I thought I was sat there and I drank in all the twists the first time I saw it, and I was like, oh, didn't see that coming, and oh, that was great, and oh my god, I did kind of see that coming, but it hurts, and you know, so I I was basically sobbing buckets at the end of the first time I watched it, and I thought, well, you know, I'll get a bit teary this time. And, you know, I'll know all the twists are coming. But it turns out that I had forgotten just enough of the crucial little moments. Like, I knew that Ernesto was going to turn out to be the villain and that he poisoned his best friend, but I'd forgotten about um, Hector only having one of the glasses and never completing that toast in the first bit of the film. And then um, then one of Ernesto's actual films, one of the characters is poisoned, and it means that Hector can watch it and go, holy shit, this is why I actually died. And... I've been a living joke for choking on chorizo and actually know I was poisoned. And all of that um, hit about a million times harder than I expected it to the second time around. Because like you say, once you feel like you can second guess a film, once you feel like you're a step ahead, you feel like you know it now and it can't catch you off guard. And somehow it managed to catch me off guard like a dozen times in the last act. It didn't for us, did it? I wish I, I wish I could agree. I really it did. did. Emotionally, but emotionally it's still hit, but I do think it was better the first time for me, just because exploring this world and this family and getting to know them, I just didn't think that we were able to recreate that the second time. Yeah, all this high drama and stuff is um, and th- that the film has like all these betrayals and all these twists and all these. Oh, it turns out that you're related to me. Said it's very telenovela, like obviously because. Did you know actually Miguel's dad is played by Rahelio from Jane the Virgin? Jamie Jamie Camel. Oh my god, I did not know that. Yeah. And now you'll never unhear his voice. Yeah, now now when you hear him speaking, he only has like four lines in the film. Rahelio de la Vega. The whole thing should have been narrated by the narrator. Oh, it would have been amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, it does take a bit of inspiration from a telenovela, and because it's so high drama, I just feel like. I don't feel the same as you, but I just don't think it's as impactful the second time around as it is the first time around. I genuinely thought that's what I would come out of this film feeling, like a lot of the twisted turns would, and emotional hits would only work if you were a completely fresh viewer to it. But even knowing everything that happened, I still ended up in this position where I was nearly full-on snot crying. Yeah. 
like can confirm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I can definitely vouch. Um, like, it's just when he tries to when when he's walking back over the bridge when Hector finally gets to walk back over the bridge and he realised that when he was alive all he wanted to do was go home and when he was and now he's dead all he wants to do is go home and you think that when Remember Me is first sung in the film by Ernesto you think it's some sailor at war and he's with this woman and it's like we have one night together and I, I have to go back ashore I have to go back to the boat I have to go back home soon but Remember me this this amazing night in 1942. Just 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 remember this this amazing night. I'm a very attractive <laughs> sailor, and you're a damsel in distress. And I I rescued you, and we we shared this amazing night. Remember me, and then with exactly the same lyrics, but with the people singing it just switched around. It turns mm. out that it's a message to his daughter, oh, and that's sweet, it, that's it's really just an anthem about him wanting to go home and spend time with his family and that's I, I, all I mean, he that's, wants to do that's an aspect of the film that I really loved as well that's quite well not so quietly but beneath the surface of the main themes is also the kind of enduring power of music as well like this can be very very simple songs that are basically going to live forever because they can just be passed down through meaning and meaning and meaning and over this years. is something that has been it's not in every pet yeah. It depends, I think, on what type of dementia, and obviously, like, it depends on. I mean, we generally agree that Coco has dementia, right? Yeah. 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 So it's not just old age or anything like that. But th- there are, like, you know, studies where Musicals. people with dementia, yeah. it's if they can associate a particular time with a particular song. Especially simple songs as well. That then there can be moments of clarity. Because it helps in me- yeah. music, helps in memory in general, anyway, and it, we often associate times in our lives and certain emotions with certain songs when we hear them and we make those connections which one make, is one of the reasons why we end up loving particular pieces of music anyway but it also helps us recall those memories when it comes to listening like there are certain albums and certain songs that I can't listen to without going back like basically transporting myself back in time and thinking about when I was released to listen to that sort of thing and um, that's you, you know it's Sometimes um, that's not always a good thing. Yeah, sometimes no. it's painful, isn't it? Yeah. There's music you actively avoid sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, but um, it's seeing that happen in real time in Coco at the end where um, Miguel plays the Remember Me song for Coco and then like you just see a sort of come to life, as it were. Like She's basically sat in a chair doing nothing and it slowly degenerates to the point where she's not doing anything. Because she starts off in the film where she's like talking a little bit and mentioning her dad and stuff and you see her forgetting she's something very before. frail though and and then yeah. right at the end yeah. she like she doesn't remember anything she doesn't say anything until Miguel starts to play that song for her and suddenly she kicks back into life again and she starts mm. um, it's, it's like it's rekindled a memory she starts talking about her papa and all the family's watching and oh my god it's just like it's the sweetest thing ever and it's so sad but it's also so happy at the same time that's it's when like, I oh. start crying that's, Wait, it's, that's it's when she start starts singing yeah. that I start yeah. crying yeah, yeah. And then I start crying a little bit more when um, you find out that Coco died. But then when Hector has his moment going through customs and he smiles for his picture like he did at the start and they go, ah, you're not Frida Kahlo though, are you? you know? <laughs> and when, it, when there's a facial recognition that his image has been put on, oh, I'm just thinking about it now, it's just like, for sake. <laughs> and it's just... When he when he does his little goofy smile and then his face matches the picture and he's allowed to go through, and then not only is he allowed to go through but he's allowed to go through with Coco, and they have that hug that he talked about in the cave when he was at his lowest 
And you're like, I remember when you said that, and, and I am with you. <laughs> so happy for you. And then they walk over. In, they walk over the bridge and then they get to spend Day of the Dead and then you get to see the grandma of the family leaning on Coco's shoulder yeah. but and Miguel's playing that really sweet song the forever that kind of like really nice kind of upbeat waltz thing that they have going on and the whole thing just kind of connects and comes together and manages to like fold back on itself so neatly and it makes it, it turns like I stopped trying to not cry in the end. I well, just kind of gave up and my mum got tissues. so many and... points because you're crying because of the sadness and then you're crying because of the sort of like, yes, Hector gets what he wants. And then at the end, it's like so optimistically wonderful that you cried out of happiness. So you've got like <laughs> so many different aspects of wanting to cry. Yeah. It, that was insane. It hurts. Yeah. Like it, it genuinely hurts. And I, I, I just, I, I've, I, I didn't even cry this much at the film the first time. I, we, we, yeah, that's like with me. I cry more every time I see it. Yeah, I genuinely thought that I wouldn't cry as much this time around because I thought, you know, I knew it was coming. But I think the fact that I knew it was coming, just when you start, when you've already seen a film and you realise where the foreshadowing has been in the past and you go, ah, that's where that started and oh, I can't believe I missed that. And there were lots of moments like that in the film where I was thinking, like, not just, ah, I can't believe I didn't see that the first time round, but just, oh my god, that indicates towards the end. Oh my god, that indicates towards that's the end. Oh my god, like it indicates towards the end. That's and then what you... it was like with Inside Out when we watched that, yeah. that I find with that one, I enjoy it more every time I watch it, and I notice more every time I watch it, and hence get more emotionally drawn in every time. I... So I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. I went through that with Inside Out. Not with, not with this one, but maybe I will as I watch it more because I've watched it less times in Inside Out. So. It's just, um, yeah, that it's... I think I missed most of the last five minutes because I just kind of saw it through, like, blurry, <laughs> smeared, like, tears. And I think from the moment where uh, Imelda starts singing on stage and you've got mm. everything from that point onwards is just sort of like... It's just too emosh. Yeah. I think emosh. that's it. It basically the film you spends can't deal. <laughs> the film can't. spends its first so I mean it's about an hour and thirty five I think without credits and I think it spends the first hour and twenty minutes putting lots of dominoes in a line and then as soon as it hits an hour and twenty five minutes it just gets right to the end of the domino line and just kicks it over and then they all just kind of go and then the film ends and. That. I can imagine the, the moment Hector saw Coco and he just went, oh, I can't even. Too much. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I, I lost the ability to compose myself at the end of this, which even a sec- the first time I couldn't compose myself and like there was that bit I was mentioning where um, they have the remember me, they have a, a statue for Hector instead and it's like remember me and then above it it says like forget yeah. you about Ernesto <laughs> and everybody in everybody in the cinema was really really intensely crying by this point and then they do that joke like they have the gall to do this joke and we were all just like coughing and spluttering with laughter because we're all crying so much <laughs> but these really funny jokes on screen and we're all like <laughs> it's like really physically uncomfortable and yeah no I, I cannot believe how much the second time round I was still I mean yeah there are there are things about this film where you think yeah I probably should have seen that coming yeah I probably need to suspend my disbelief there but then at the end of it all it's been an emotional journey that feels like it's taken up most of your life and not in a bad way just you feel like you know these people you know this family you know how much 
music actually means to them, both positively and negatively, and you know how much the family history moved, and you feel how betrayed they've all felt for so long, and then for them all to find out that for decades and decades of essentially like oppressing people in the family who were musical after this guy left and was killed and like you realize that a murder and a death has caused all this heartache and pain in this family and now it's all over and this character at the beginning who was the kind of like the shining light the beacon of this family in terms of its musical contribution to the world or at least in the village finally has the chance to perform in front of his family and reveal how talented he is and they can all not only see it and appreciate it and be because I imagine if there were talented people who were musically talented people in this family they would be quite sad because it's like how the hell are these genes still being passed down and, and he gets to perform in front of his family and they can all enjoy it because the horrible ho history of their family turns out it's not true and it's not a horrible history at all it's just mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a tragic tale but it's not they were abandoned by music it was uh, by a guy who wanted to go and pursue music it was more that the guy went to pursue music realized it wasn't what he wanted and tried to go home and then he was killed and so it's a different kind of ending it's still a very sad ending but it's they can take some joy out of it now finally that they can finally celebrate his life they don't have to pretend that he didn't exist yeah and I have a question yeah the Remember Me song is like really popular because you make a point of mentioning, oh, you shouldn't sing Remember Me because it's everyone's favourite song and everyone will do it. And Coco knows the song because her dad sings it to her, uh, to her at some point. And obviously she remembers it because she sings it later on. When she's not old and she's quite young and after her dad's died and that song becomes really popular, does she like recognise it? I thought this. Radio? I thought this. Does she Why not, didn't like, she make a fuss? Does she not yeah. make like a fuss of it and think, hold on a minute, that's my dad's song that I remember. From she's got his handwritten it. lyrics. She knows he wrote the song. Yeah, she's got his lyrics of it written and down. Does she not like? She knows he wrote all of this, those songs. She's got all the lyrics. Oh, mind you. The frame Mind the you, they make a point of... Imelda um, doesn't like Coco probably listen to any music. I was thinking that. Yeah, when, music's when banned from the family, left. so she'd never hear it. But she does know he wrote Remember Me. Yeah, but she, oh, no, but she wouldn't she hear it. know that Remember Me is a popular song because she never listens to music. All music was banned, was Because all music was banned. Uh, oh, but then, like, how do you get around that with her, like, going to school and things? Yeah, it's, it's not very plausible, really. You'd hear it, or, like, people at school would have suppose. Mm, also, I've just realised, you know, we were talking yesterday, like, you just mentioned that, um, what's his face, the famous musician guy? Ernesto. 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 Um, <laughs> I, I was calling him Esteban before, so... <laughs> Ernesto, Esteban, whatever. Um, e. <laughs> um, Ernest. Ernest, <laughs> Ernesto is, um, he's very similar to, um... Charles Muntz from mm. and you also mentioned yesterday that he's really similar to Waternoose from Monster Well, Lincoln. less so, but another one of that archetype, yeah. Yeah, well, in another way he's quite similar to Waternoose. He's, like, he's also exposed by accidentally being broadcast to an audience <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. with the intentions of harming a child because he throws the <laughs> child off the tower and, and Waternoose talks about how he's going to like dis uh, kill children to save the monsters. Pixar tropes, eh? Yeah. So another example of Pixar using their um, recycling their old material. And then he's also, oh my god, Ernesto is even arrested by Roz. Oh no, that doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Roz comes on and he's oh, like, oh, watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe have a Latin one. Alves watching. And it's like some guy with a cap. And, yeah. Well, while we're on those kind of random thoughts, uh, when I was saying before, I'm like, do the other Pixar films have this land of the dead? I couldn't help but think of the land of the car dead. 
Mater's ancestors. What would it? Because <laughs> landfill. When people die in the land of the dead, they become skeletons. So what happened? Like when cars died, did they just become a chassis? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is Lewis Hamilton there? <laughs> God. Well, actually, no. Maybe that's. Is the Pope Mobile Pope there? <laughs> The Pope Mobile that is on top of the Pope Mobile. Mobile. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I am ready to grade. Yeah. So Jake, go um, on you first. All right, cool. I don't think this film is perfect. I don't even think it's Pixar's best. Um, but I think there are a few. Like I think this film. I think this film has something in common with some of Pixar's best films, or at least my favorite Pixar films. In that. Um, the film is essentially a love letter to family and music and it's such an optimistic film and the other film that it reminds me of in that sense is like Ratatouille and Ratatouille is basically a really optimistic film about people's love of food and passion for yeah, something and passion for something and th- that's what I love about this film um, and as a result I think I can I can forgive a lot of the shortcomings in terms of um, it very clearly signposted in one way but signposting so obviously that I understood what the film was doing before I even watched it, so I was ready when the surprises happened. So I, I wasn't as shocked at this, um, watching it as, say, Rob was, especially the second time. Um, but I, still I don't really think anybody it. enjoyed it as much as Rob did the second time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the makers of the film like it that one. <laughs> I still really love the film. It's really well-crafted. It gets Pixar's basics of um, relationship between characters and world-building so right and it's such an optimistic film and I love optimistic films that are just so full of happiness and optimism and also emotionalness where you end up basically with the tears at the end so I'm probably going to grade it a 9 okay I, I echo basically everything that Jake said yeah um, in that I think it's like a quintessential Pixar film that it, it's a very good example of exactly what Pixar does and exactly what it's all about and exactly why their movies work very very well it's a real kind of testament to the quality of Pixar films. In some ways it's slightly too familiar. Um, I, I have to knock a point off for lifting a point, lifting a plot very clearly from up. I have to knock a point off for it. But I can't really knock any points off for anything else. Uh, we haven't really talked enough about how amazing it looks. Um, and just the level of detail lots and of very different textures done very well. into at it. this point it's a bit of a given that a Pixar film oh but I mean I think this one in particular like all that colour in the, the in colour the even down to yeah. like the, the little are they leaves or petals the leaves yeah, like leaves. yeah. It's, it is it is amazing and I, it's, it is almost faultless but not faultless so I am also going to give it a 9 we, I can't believe we're not talking about the best moment of the film where he picks up the guitar that is stolen from the crypt and plays a C chord and like everything <laughs> like whoosh all the pedals just swoosh Andy very very funnily pointed out wow it's like when you're teaching a child a lesson in guitar and you play the first chord every year 7 he picks it up and feels like Elvis when they play a C C C C C C C C C C C C wow that's really good anyway no it's been wonderful to have you back what's your grade it's pretty obvious I mean I've been hinting at this in previous episodes so for me it is definitely a 10 um, so it's, it's on par with Up for me. So it's your joint favourite Pixar film with Up. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's so pretty. It's so feel good as well. Like we know, I know the ending's super emotional, but then it ends on a high, and it's, yeah, it's so it nice so to end good. on that. I love. You're not. Yeah, you're not. End, you're not ending it like blubbering because you're sad. It's just like you're blubbering because everything's just so wholesome about it by the end. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can't fault it. 
to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Rob. You can hear. Oh, what's gonna it gonna be? This is the bomb drop. Am I a ten? I'm, wow. No, really. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I am. I mean, I'm not surprised now that you. <laughs> I, I think you said, but I would have been hugely I, I surprised. I didn't expect it to be this. Um, I was kind of hovering over like a nine point five, but then I thought, you know what, fuck it, <laughs> just give a ten, just do it. And could you not have done that for the other episodes where, as a group, we came to thirty nine point five? Like up. Like up. <laughs> up, and up I think up. We did that inside out. We did that. Yeah. The last Jedi. We did it. We've had like three thirty nine point fives. And now you give it a 10 when we haven't. <laughs> like you knew. We're never going to get a 40. It's never going to happen. Um, Maybe next season. Until like yeah. the Star Wars. The Game of Thrones finale or something. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll Every see. Game of Thrones episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm likely to be more critical of Game of Thrones because... Yeah, some episodes will be a 9.5. But, yeah. I'm looking forward to when we actually get to Game of Thrones episodes and you start to go back and reference all the other films that we've already watched. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this Game of Thrones episode really reminds me of Toy Story 1. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I think that this is... It's really really beautiful to look at and it manages to build a history and a world and a story and a family so quickly and so delicately and yet make it so deep and rich and so just so emotionally impactful and then it has like it's a story that is hugely entertaining and it knows when to put characters in and it knows what type of characters they need to be and it knows about what kind, it accurately predicts and then gets dead right the kind of relationships the characters would have with each other. And then, as I said, it gradually puts lots and lots of dominoes in a line and then the last 15 minutes, they just kick it over with their heel and you're underneath the last domino that falls and you get the full weight of the entire domino trail falling on top of you. That sounds very painful. And as it is. Like yeah. a bell. <laughs> and I think that a film that makes me cry that much deserves just a 10. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going with it. Brilliant. Yeah, it's the only film outside of Toy Story 2 that I've given a 10 to. So we've got two 10s and two 9s, so that's 38. 38. I believe... Oh, I don't, should we? No. Okay, because it's the finale next we'll week. We'll wait until the next one. Order, yeah. But yeah. yeah. We will see. Just before we go, have you guys seen the trailer for Toy Story 4? No, not yet. I have, yeah. Well, let's not talk about it if no, I haven't seen it. Maybe we can cover that next week, seeing as it's after. All I will say is my general thoughts are that you can see them really trying to do something new thematically about a film, a, to- a toy's uh, existence. Like, are you really a toy if you're manufactured or are you really a toy if you're just a spork and some pipe cleaners? All about purpose. And yeah, and per- why? And- why do I exist? Yeah, and I what am... is my purpose? You pass butter. <laughs> Why cheeseoid exist? <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm I'm kind of optimistic. Yeah. But at the same time, the fact that I can see them trying to break new ground makes me think it's going to be a bit obvious. For me, it's just a wait and see. I'm, just, I'm not yeah. going to know until I see it. No, it's just a wait and see. The one thing that I noticed in this trailer, and Andy pointed out too, is like, they basically told us the whole plot of the film. Oh yeah, it does trailer. reveal a lot, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. like too, makes, makes way me too think, much. Way which too makes much. me think that maybe there is more to it. There is more to it than that. Oh no, I think maybe it makes me think there's not much left to show, so they had to 
They had two Cram minutes worth of material. It's only a couple of months until it's out, isn't it? Now? Yeah. yeah, June 21st. I think th- th- there, is, there is not hearing much about a film in a good way, and then there is not hearing much about a film in well, a bad way. To be fair, we didn't, we didn't hear much about it until now. Like They've only just released this trailer. Yeah, but I just... I, the, I, I remain unconvinced. But I'm, I I'm too. happy to be proven wrong. I'm very happy to be proven wrong. I have been before by films of this kind, so... But yeah. before that, we're going to have Joe back next time to do Incredibles 2. We are, and that will be our series That will be the Nally. end of the Pixar, uh, until Toy Story 4 comes out. But that will be the end of our kind of attempt to get through everything that Pixar have ever done. Yeah. So, what a journey. I can't believe we're nearly there. We've nearly finished. It's been a long season. And hopefully, by the time we next do a season that's this long, you might be with us again. Yeah. This is your last appearance of season two? Yeah, the last appearance of season two. Sad. It's like you'll be re-promoted to... Re-promoted? Yeah, yeah, you'll be, you'll be back to regular promoted. cast. I'm already promoted. I'm a guest star. Yeah, no, but that's it. You're a special guest star. <laughs> no, so. your contract is up for negotiation. <laughs> we should not talk about this on the air. Um, we will see the response to this episode, and if you are popular with the right demographics, you might get a better deal next year. Guys, please be nice to me. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yeah. So, ah, give another series, you shit. <laughs> but yeah, um, we'll be back with Joe and in Incredibles 2. See you then. See you then. Bye. Ciao. Bye.